0: Welcome everyone to the score fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at the score. And today's episode is presented by head and shoulders offense for great hair defense against flakes on today's show. We are previewing week nine, but there are a lot of moving pieces in the NFL before we get to the week nine games including another positive covid test in the thursday nighter so first we had aj Dillon test positive on sunday he's on the packers in their backfield that forced one of their other running backs jamal williams to be ruled out thursday night because he was ruled a close contact to Dillon. now one day before the game We get Kendrick Bourne on the 49ers testing positive as well. So as of right now, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. As of right now, this game is expected to be played as scheduled on Thursday night. The Packers are supposed to fly out in an hour or two here. So we're going to find out whether the NFL decides to change anything pretty soon, I would think. But it wouldn't surprise me. If this game gets moved back to the weekend, we've already seen that happen once where a Thursday nighter got moved to Monday a few weeks back with the Bills and Chiefs. So we'll be following it as usual. My Thursday rankings update, that's going to reflect all the latest news. So no worries there whatsoever. We also have another big name player on the COVID list, but I'm going to ask our guest about that in a second. And before we bring him in, no, I'm not going to do the usual subscribe to the podcast and the rating and review stuff. I just want to give him a special shout-out. Our guest today is Derek Brown. You know him. You love him. He's been on the show before. I think the last time we had him on was in the summer. It was after the NFL draft, I believe. But Debro is a guy who is always there for you. We had a late cancellation this week, a guest who couldn't make it, and it's okay. That happens. But Debro was right there to step in and fill in for us. He's been on the rise since we last talked to him. He's the senior fantasy football analyst over at FTN. He's the host of the Fade the Chalk podcast and you can keep up with all his stuff on Twitter at Debro underscore FFB. Derek, man, welcome back to the show and once again, thank you for saving the day and accepting that last minute invite.
1: (laughs) Justin, as usually, you are far too kind, my friend. I think it's it's always a pleasure to be able to chop it up, talk football with you. Um, Thank you for having me back to talk football because I always enjoy our chats. I feel like... um, it's always interesting, because you and I, we analyze things very, very similarly, so I don't want to sound like we're holding hands in this entire podcast, um, so maybe we can fight about a few things, but dude, this is going to be awesome. I'm so glad to be back here. All right, well, I don't want to waste a minute of your time, so let's jump right into
0: week nine, and like I said, another big name on the COVID list right before we started, Matthew Stafford. He mispracticed today. The Lions weren't really saying why. And then they released a statement that he's on the COVID list. So I will throw it to you. Matthew Stafford not going to be there in this game. How does that impact this Lions offense?
1: Oh, you've got to you got to take everybody down a peg. I mean, the Vikings are not a good pass defense. Um, one of the guys I was actually going to bring up later in the show. Um, I'm definitely going to be avoiding most of these guys. And Marvin Jones was a popular waiver wire pickup. I mean, he is definitely going to drop a little bit regardless of whether it's David Blau or Chase Daniels, whoever gets the start for Staver, because we don't know at this point. um, I think that you really just have to drop everybody down a peg. Maybe Detroit goes a little more run-heavy in this game, so maybe that helps, uh, you know, whether you're rolling out DeAndre Swift or not. But, I mean, even really does it? Because what's going to stop the Vikings and their bad corners and everybody from just stacking the box and saying, whoever's at the quarterback position, okay, beat us. I dare you to beat us.
0: Yeah, and I was really excited about TJ Hawkinson. I think people always look to when a player gets hurt like Galladay, everybody looks to that position, right? Okay, who can we pick up? Mm-hmm. And it was Marvin Jones. I mean, I wrote about him in our waiver wire column, but they don't always look to the tight ends or the running backs and realize that a lot of the targets could go there as well. And I really thought with Galladay out, we were going to see Hawkinson, and maybe we still will, but I thought we were going to see Hawkinson move into maybe the top three, top four with George Kittle out at tight end. Hawkinson could move up that high in the rankings but unfortunately with a backup in there and I would think that it's going to be Chase Daniel who's going to step in that does bump everybody down so you're still starting Hawkinson but I don't know if the ceiling's going to be as high there Uh, let's keep going I mean there's lots of other injuries and stuff to talk about and I mentioned the waiver wire column that I do on Mondays I try to get it out as early as possible and on Monday when it went up we didn't know that miles gaskin was going to miss time that came out on tuesday gaskin's going to miss three weeks with a sprained mcl so then you figure matt Breda, who has been the backup this season He'll be the guy, and then we'll see some mixture of Jordan Howard, who's been inactive most re- uh, weeks recently, Patrick Laird, who's last year's like late-season darling everybody kind of fell in love with in fantasy, maybe even DeAndre Washington, who they just traded for, one of those guys stepping into the backup role with Breda starting. But then today, we find out that Matt Breda was also absent from practice. He's dealing with a hamstring issue. So things are completely up in the air here. I want to know, I mean, which Dolphins back is going to be the most valuable fantasy asset here while Gaskins is out for these
1: next few weeks? Are you taking a shot on any of these guys? I I honestly think this is one of those situations where it, it, it's kind of an avoid. Now, if, if Breda is going to miss time this week, I think it does give a little more credence to Jordan Howard. Like, I'm not worried about Patrick Laird. We've seen him. We know who he is as far as a player. Um, Howard is going to have the goal line role. It was one of the backfields, like, even when I heard about the Gaskin news, like, everybody was hitting me up and saying, like, hey, okay, they're sliding into DMs and saying, okay, does, is Brady your number one pickup this week? Like, does he go above everybody else? And I'm like... No, like, why would that be the case? Like, we've seen what this backfield looks like before. Miles Gaskin took the bell cow role, and it wasn't great. Breda was in a committee. Jordan Howard's going to factor in, have the goal line role. If we find out that Breda's out, does that give me a little bit more faith in Jordan Howard as an early down grinder? Yes, but not still more than possibly like a flex play. He 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 would slide into that Damian Harris region where it's like he's not going to get pass game work. You're really open for 15 touches, and he falls in the end zone Uh, behind an offensive line that's not great. And even Gaskin, when we loved him, it was in a bell cow role, and he still only scored two touchdowns over his duration as the bell cow. So, provided that Tua looks any better, you still can't feel that great. But uh, am I wrong here, Justin? Like, are you a little bit more optimistic about this backfield than I am? I was a little more optimistic
0: about Breda just because of the way they had treated Howard that I just mm-hmm. felt like they were out on Howard at that point, right? If they have him inactive, yeah, he would probably be active with Gaskin sideline, but with Breda out and we don't know, I mean, Breda could come back to practice, like anything could happen here. We got a, a long way to go before the game, but if Breda is forced to miss some time this week with a hamstring issue, I do kind of like Jordan Howard now in this game, because I do think that he's going to get most of the work. I don't believe that Washington would be ready to go in this game because he just got Mm -hmm. traded. And I think for him to pass the COVID protocol, it'll take some time. So I don't think he's going to be active on Sunday. So yeah, I think Jordan Howard would be an interesting play as a a flex option. He's a guy I went out and picked up in one league this morning where I need a running back. I'm in that bye week crunch and I went out and grabbed Jordan Howard, and he is probably going to be in my starting lineup this week, assuming Breda's out. So there's a lot of running backs like that this week, where things are kind of in flux, a lot of different, you know, things could happen here as the week goes along. Another one is that backfield that I talked about earlier with the Packers, right? With A.J. Dillon and Jamal Williams. You also have... Uh, Aaron Jones, who may play in this game, it's possible we had some reports that the team was pessimistic about his chances of suiting up, but then today they're talking more like, well, he's questionable. They've said he's going to be a game-time decision now, and maybe with those other guys out, they're pushing a little more to get him out there, and it seems like Aaron Jones, kind of like the Devontae Adams situation a few weeks back, Aaron Jones is acting like he wants to play, so it's just that really cautious medical staff that they have in Green Bay that's been holding him back. If he isn't able to play, then it would be some mixture of Dexter Williams or the hybrid back, Tyler Irvin, who really is mostly just played receiver this year, but he would definitely work in. So they would be the only options for Green Bay in this game. And I'll say it again, a lot could change because if this game gets pushed back, which still might happen, if it gets pushed back, then maybe all of a sudden Williams is available because maybe that five-day window has passed, and if he doesn't test positive, then he could be good to go. Maybe if a few more days go by, Aaron Jones would be a little healthier and they'd feel better about getting him out there. So it's a tough question to answer here. But are you interested in any of these running backs here? If it's going to be a Dexter Williams and Tyler Irvin kind of situation in a tough matchup with the 49ers, just overall, how are you approaching that backfield this week?
1: Uh, I mean, if it's going to be Dexter Williams and Tyler Irvin, I think they're both going to be probably desperation flex plays for me. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers are not a good matchup on the ground. And, I mean, they're 10th in adjusted line yards, 9th and second uh, level yards allowed this year. I, I think that they pose a serious, serious threat as far as, like, being able to shut down the Packers on the ground. As good as their offensive line is, if I lean to one guy, it's probably Tyler Irvin in this spot. And just because the fact is... If he's out there, he's going to be running pass routes, That's and I think that the Green Bay Packers probably lean, if Aaron Jones is out, they're going to lean into the passing game. Irvin in his career has only logged three pass-blocking snaps, like, over the entirety of his career. So if he's out there, I think he's running routes, and San Francisco, they have sneaky, like, they have allowed some production to running backs through the air, two receiving touchdowns allowed this year, uh, one in week one to Chase Edmonds, and then last week to DJ Dallas. So if I am struggling in a league and I'm trying to pick between one of these guys to pick up and I'm like, all right, let's cross our fingers, maybe a touchdown, baby, let's go, it's probably Tyler Irvin. Um, As much as my truth or status on Dexter Williams um, formerly, will attest to, we just haven't seen it. And this, if he has the early down roll, I don't think it's that valuable here. What about on the other side of the field in that game? You ever Raheem Mostert
0: out, Jeff Wilson out, <laughs> Tevin Coleman out. Is it finally Jamichael Hasty time? Or is Jarek McKinnon going to be the next thing that blocks him? Are we going to see McKinnon step up like he did earlier in the season when Mostert was out? Are we finally going to see McKinnon get back in there and get producing? Or is it Hasty time after all? <laughs>
1: Justin, you're giving me a layup here, man. You know I got to slam this home, man. I know we both liked Hasty in the offseason. Yes. I love Jermichael Hasty. I love his skill set. I think it's Hasty time here. I think both of these backs will have a role because how you attack the Packers, yes, it is absolutely on the ground. Obviously, the easiest uh, low hanging fruit here is knowing that Raheem Mostert just ran it down their throat all the way through the playoffs in that game. But. I think Hasty has the early down role. I I would pigeonhole. He's probably going to be in my top 24 running backs for the week over at FTN. Um, I think Jerry McKinnon is still a viable flex play. Like, he's a top 36 play for me. Because the Packers, not only can you run on them, but yes, they can be beat via the pass with running backs. They are the worst team in the NFL against running backs through the air. And so, I I think both of these guys are going to have a role. I love Hasty. If I'm picking one, it's definitely him because I think he's going to get 15 touches on the ground. He's explosive. His lateral agility is off the charts. And the Packers, I mean, we just saw Dalvin destroy them. If the 49ers have any chance in this game, it's to play slow. It's to run, 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 and run some more. And with Kendra Bourne, we're talking about COVID things. If Bourne is out, obviously, then I think they lean on the running backs, both on the ground in the passing game and lean on the tight end position a good bit in this one.
0: Well, the Packers were giving up the most fantasy points to running backs before the game against Dalvin mm-hmm. Cook when he put up over 200 yards and four touchdowns. So it is just, it's embarrassing what their run defense has done this year. And yeah, Hasty has a great shot at being an RB2. I think I like him even more than you this week. I got him inside my top 20 and I'm right there with you that McKinnon is still a flex play. wouldn't surprise me if both these guys have pretty good games as they lean on the running backs there for sure. Uh, We've talked about it before. You mentioned it off the top. I mean, whether it's Hasty, whether it's, dare I mention him, Dante Pettis back in the day, we don't always get them right, but we have been in sync on a lot of these players. DJ Moore, there's been a bunch of them, whether it's breakout guys or sleepers or bold predictions, all that sort of stuff. And I know bold predictions, it's normally something that we do before the season, right? You do it then, and that's it. You don't revisit it until maybe after the year. But we're at the midway point here. I wanted to get your boldest fantasy prediction for the second half of the season and see if we agree on that. All right.
1: Uh, This is one I actually, I I teased it out on Twitter earlier today. I'm really, really heavily into this because I think, one, the the lack of options at this position, and then, two, this guy scheduled down the stretch, I think Austin Hooper is going to be a top 3-5 to five tight end for the rest of the season when he comes back from injury. And people are probably eye-rolling right now, and yes, I know it sounds nasty, but you look, Odell Beckham is gone, obviously. They need, targets have got to go somewhere. Jarvis Landry is banged up. And if you look at Austin Hooper over the last three games that he played, a weeks four through six, he was third in target share, Amongst the position behind only George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, he was third in weighted opportunity behind only Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. And if you look at his schedule down the stretch, Justin, it's fantastic, man. Like Houston, 24th against the tight end Philly, 27th Jacksonville, 23rd Tennessee, 25th. I mean, the list goes on and on the fantasy playoffs for the rest of the season. He has only one matchup where a team ranks 17th or higher. Like, that's it. And that's not until week 16. So, I think Austin Hooper is a guy that you can peg in for for seven to eight targets a week. I think that the red zone role is there for him. Yes, I know that Njoku and Hunter Bryant, or Harrison Bryant, are still there, but... They paid the money for Hooper. I think that the targets are going to be there for him, and the rest of the position is god-awful. So, am I crazy in this, or can you get on board with my bold prediction here?
0: No, absolutely. I love it. And one of the things that I think when you're looking at bold predictions, or when you're looking at just trying to find edges in redraft leagues at all... It's finding those spots where the public perception isn't exactly the reality of the situation yet. And I just think that, you know, coming off the injury, people aren't really thinking about Hooper that much and how his situation has changed, right? And with uh, OBJ out and with the amount of targets he was getting prior to getting hurt, he is going to be in a great spot when he comes back. Uh, For me, I mean, I've talked about, I had a bold prediction that I said on the Roto Underworld podcast a few weeks back that... I think Henry Ruggs could be a top 20 receiver in the second half of the season. The only thing this guy is missing is the targets. And even going back to like last week's game, you have the wind. There's just been a bunch of different scenarios. The injury early in the year. I mean, he started hot in that first game. We've seen him blow up. He did have that one really big game with 118 yards, I think. Uh, he can do it. It's just a matter of them giving him more volume. And I think as the year goes along, they are not going to be stupid about this. They're going to find a way to get their first round pick more targets. Another guy, if we're talking about public perception, I talked about him in the, the waiver wire column this week. Tim Patrick is somebody that I don't know that everyone realized what he was doing before he got hurt and missed the last game. With Cortland Sutton out, he kind of stepped in as like a poor man's Cortland Sutton and he was putting up pretty big fantasy stats here. This is a guy that could be a wide receiver two, maybe safer to say a wide receiver three with that wide receiver two upside the rest of the way. But a guy I could see sneak into the top 25, top 30 the rest of the season and somebody I feel like nobody is talking about right now. I picked him up on waiver wires this week.
1: Yeah, I like the Patrick Hall. I mean, he had, what, over, I think, 100 yards in two of his last three games that he played off the top of my head? Sworn like sworn
0: touchdowns. Like, the guy, he really stepped into that. And he's not Cortland Sutton, and he's not mm-hmm. going to have that wide receiver one upside, but can give you 70 80% of those Cortland Sutton stats if that continues, and... They're going to need to throw the ball in that offense. It's not just going to be able to rely on the running game. Like I thought before the season, they were just going to be a defense and rushing attack. They're going to have to throw. Drew Locke is not scared to take shots downfield. We know that. So I think there's going to be some really big games for Patrick here. I think he's a very, very interesting player.
1: Yeah, I like that call a lot, a lot, a lot, Justin.
0: Well, speaking of bold predictions, I mean, I haven't gone back and looked at uh, my preseason bold predictions article. Like I said, I normally wait until after the season to do that, but I do know there was one in there that has hit so far. I had Mike Davis being the best waiver wire out of the season. And I think right now we could say he has lived up to that. Maybe somebody will merge in the second half of the year that blows him out of the water. But so far the teams with Mike Davis, I would imagine they're in a pretty good spot right now. But Christian McCaffrey likely suiting up for week nine do you see CMC walking back into that same monster workload that he normally has? Or do you think the team's being honest when they've said that they're going to continue to get Davis some work, maybe even Curtis Samuel some work out of that backfield? Because before this, it was CMC all the time. If we see Davis and maybe Samuel eat into that workload a little bit, it could drop Christian McCaffrey's fantasy ceiling just a little and maybe not put him in contention for that number one spot where he has been the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, I definitely think we could see Davis factor in here some. The question is how much, but coming off the injury, they just signed into the big contract, uh, obviously a few months ago. And I think that for a team that Let's be real. I mean, the, the the playoff aspirations for this year are slim to none, probably. And for their the centerpiece of the franchise of that offense, I know as well as DJ Moore and and, and Robbie have played and Teddy have played. CMC is the gas that sit there and propels that car down the road. And for that coming off the injury, I just I worry like that. How much is Davis going to factor into that? And like I think that even um, I, like I, I think that CMC is still going to have what like a sixty five seventy percent. I mean, would you think that he that Davis factors in even more, Justin?
0: I, I really don't I, I know they're saying this I also think it's a nice thing to say in the media for a guy like Davis who's performed mm-hmm. pretty well who's a veteran guy you don't just want to go oh thank you very much back to the bench with you <laughs> you're not going to get any touches anymore right I think they'll try to work him in a little bit and the weird thing is before just how much volume CMC was getting they just never had a backup that really got involved unless he got nicked up and then I think it was Reggie Bonifon that came in like one game late and had one big run or something like that last year but I do think they're going to work him in just a little bit but it's not enough that it's going to make me that scared I think CMC is still going to be top top three I have him ranked as that my rest of the season rankings I have him as the running back too
1: yeah I agree I mean he's top five at his floor and I think the only thing that really can help um, Mike Davis continue is the fact that we saw the passing game role like he has the ability to work in both facets and so if you're worried about CMC and, like, Davis having a role going forward, his ability in the passing game is going to allow that. Like, they're not missing a beat by sitting CMC, where, like, previous years, you didn't really have a whole lot of guys behind him that could catch passes and do a lot of the different things that Christian McCaffrey does. But I agree with you. I think that his, his floor is probably top three, top five.
0: And we'll see what's the situation with the injury with him, because, I mean, I'm not 100% convinced that he's going to come back and be exactly the same player before the injury. We've seen other guys. He took a lot of time, hopefully is going to be perfectly healthy, but we've seen other guys suffer high ankle sprains and really not be the same the rest of the season, even if they do miss a few weeks. So that could factor in as well here. A big debate the last few weeks has been the play of Jonathan Taylor, and He has really underperformed in this Colts offense. I mean, at least compared to what we expected from him after Marlon Mack was ruled out for the year. I'm sure you agreed with me. We all thought that he was going to be a league winner, that if you got him in the third, fourth round, it was just a fantastic pick. And now we're not really seeing it from him, right? Last week, he gets outplayed by Jordan Wilkins and Naheem Hines, only it turns out that Taylor's dealing with an ankle issue. It's not severe enough that it's costing him any practice time, though, because he was back out there on Wednesday. So that seems to make it like he's going to play this weekend. Is this just the ultimate buy low spot where I put it out there on Monday that I thought he was still a buy low and some people gave me a hard time? He's been a buy low for two or three weeks now. Come on. Well, yeah, the the, the total cost here just keeps going down for him. So you can get him at the absolute cheapest price right now. Is this the right buy-low spot for Taylor, or do you think this is going to be just a frustrating three-man committee and maybe it's time to try to get rid of Taylor in a trade?
1: Uh, I think it all comes down to what you got to pay. I mean, I think that, yes, I could talk myself into buying low on him. Um, I I think right now he's probably best viewed as a a hold. I... (sighs) It's just it's such a conundrum with Jonathan Taylor because what we saw as a prospect coming into the NFL and what he's looked like in the NFL has been absolutely different. Like, he looked like he was shot out of cannon in week one and ever since then, he looks like he's just shot into the opposing defenders. Like, he can't break tackles. He's got 118 touches and he's only has 11 avoided tackles, 2.1 yards per contact per attempt. Uh, I mean, look... Like, Wilkins, if he is able to carve out a bigger role, the the concerns for Taylor are absolutely real. Like, that guy has been... He is eclipsing Taylor in the ability of elusivity and... He has 16 avoided tackles on nearly half the attempts. Like, he's only gotten 52 touches. So, I think the concern on Taylor is real. For me, it comes down to, like, just what are you going to have to pay? Because I could see myself being like, okay, I'm I'm not going to do it, or I'm going to do it based off of the league and the cost.
0: Well, that was the best part, is that a lot of people that were messaging on Monday were actually Taylor owners who have been holding on to him. We've been calling him a buy. They've been holding on, waiting for him to explode. And they're just getting more and more angry every week. So yeah, I, I think the price would be low enough that you would be able to get him and that you would want to pay that price to take a shot on a guy of his talent. But I agree with you. I mean, it seems so bizarre. The the vision, I mean, just running into the backs of his linemen and, and that sort of stuff. It is not something we expected from him at all. I quickly want to update the Matthew Stafford thing because Adam Schefter had another tweet here while we've been going, but uh, he said that he's a high risk, close contact situation. So it's not that he tested positive, just that they're playing it very cautiously here. And his last contact was on Monday. So technically, when you look at the five days, he could come off the list on Sunday. Now that doesn't mean that's going to happen, but it's still in play that Stafford could be out there this week. So I felt that we had to mention that before we moved along here. A couple more before we get you out of here. Jake Luton, the six round rookie taking over for Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville. The guy's got a big arm. The coaching staff is saying some very, very nice things about him as they should. Are we going to see Luton maybe unlock another aspect of this Jaguars offense and challenge defenses more deep? Or do you think the most likely scenario here is that he comes in and struggles like most late round rookie quarterbacks do, and that lowers the fantasy ceilings for all the skill position players in
1: Jacksonville? I I think my hope is that he looks competent in this game. I think that if Jay Gruden, and I do believe Jay Gruden is actually a good coach. I think he had a bad rap when he had his time in Washington. We saw him do some really good things in Cincinnati when they did have talent. I I, I think that we're going to see a very similar as uh, Gardner Minshew did in week one. And not necessarily from that high efficiency, but easy short completions, Quick reads, easy throws. The the Texans are 32nd against short passing in the NFL. So I don't know if we see Luton just like sit back there and just wind it up and chuck it down the field. I really think it's more efficiency, get the ball into his playmaker's hands like with James Robinson, Chark, Visca, and how you attack this Texans defense. I think he could surprise some people with the type of game that he has, but I I really think it's going to come via the short and immediate routes this week. Well, I think you're approaching that from the right spot. I'll correct you on one thing.
0: I think Gruden is a very good coordinator. I don't know how good of a coach he is, but I think he, I think he's a very good offensive coordinator, and I think he could get the most out of his quarterbacks. Now, whether it was the injury that was holding Minshew back recently or what, maybe, you know, it was just the arm talent and he didn't have enough and somebody like Luton can come in there. But I believe Greg Cosell was saying that he kind of envisioned that Luton could be a guy like Jared Goff is with the Rams, where he just goes out there and executes the offense. He's not a player Mm -hmm. that's going to take it upon himself to really blow things up. But he's a guy who could just go out there, follow exactly what the scheme is, and get it done and have enough arm talent to make every throw that they need him to make. And I have him on at least one dynasty team in a super flex league. So I am very much hoping that we see that happen. Uh, I am not comparing these two quarterbacks, but I will use this as a transition here. Luton having the big arm, Josh Allen, another guy with a big arm here. And he's been able to perform very well in that offense in Buffalo this year, only the last few weeks. It's been a little rockier for him and that's coincided with john brown being hurt some injuries on the offensive line a couple harder matchups in there but he's gonna have some tougher opponents down the stretch here he still has the steelers the 49ers the patriots he's got a bye week coming up still that he has to go through i know this week he gets the seahawks so it should be an easier matchup is this maybe a time to try to to move on
1: from Josh Allen, see what you can get for him in a trade? Are you worried about him at all the rest of the season? I'm worried about him the rest of the season, but I think that this week's matchup is fantastic for him. I think the Bills have kind of gotten away from what helped Josh Allen so much during those first few weeks. Like, weeks one through four they were running play action just at an insane rate, like 40% of his attempts, and that dropped over the last, like since week five, to 28%. Now, all of his numbers have dropped across the board, like you're talking about, Justin, like more difficult matchups, I think, but they have gotten away from some of the bread and butter of what helped Josh Allen so much, and I bring all this up with play action because Seattle has been vulnerable, like looking last year, even to this year, they're near the top of the league in passer rating allowed on play-action passes. Last year, they were bottom basement against yards per play allowed on play-action. So that is a way that you can beat this defense. I really think that we could see a bounce-back spot here for Josh Allen because I'm not worried about Seattle pressuring him. Um, if they get back to their roots and do a bunch of play-action, he heaves it deep. We know you could beat this secondary I'm willing to hold on to Josh Allen in a bounce-back spot. So if he has a great game this week, then trade him. Because like you're talking about, I am really immensely concerned about a lot of the spots that we have coming up for him in the weeks to come. Like, Pittsburgh is no slouch. Even Denver is good. San Francisco is a good passing defense. Like, these are all really tough matchups just to get you to the fantasy playoffs. So he's not a guy that I really want to trust down the stretch. But I want to ride with him one more game. And if we get that value bump, then bye-bye. Then it's time to trade him away. All right, last question. And thank you so much again for
0: joining us on the short notice and all of that. We'll get you out of here on this one. Which players are being overlooked in week nine? We ask this question every single episode. We finish off with this. I
1: will let you go first. Who you got? It's a nice little trio of wide receivers that I think a lot of people... One of these guys is probably highly rostered. I, I think that you could pick them up in desperation and play them. Um, I'm going to start off with Darnell Mooney here. Uh, Tennessee's secondary has been terrible. They just cut Jonathan Joseph. I think that they, they signed. I don't know if they're going to have Desmond King available, but if he's not available, nobody can hang with Mooney on the outside. I think he's in for a really good spot in this game. As well as we're talking about, if Stafford does play, Marvin Hall was a guy that walked into an every-down role opposite of Marvin Jones on the outside. The Vikings corners have struggled. He's going to see a decent amount of Cam Dantzler on the outside who runs a 4-6-40. has struggled all season long. He's probably available in pretty much every league. If you're struggling, I think that he's a guy that's got ceiling. He's going to see deep targets. Um, As well as there's one more name I want to pick up here. And for a passing attack that I think people... It's not sexy, don't get me wrong, and it's a tough matchup. But Marlon Humphrey out with COVID, the Ravens have struggled via slot receivers in certain spots this year. And if if they're going to be rolling out a backup to Marlon Humphrey, which it looks like maybe Khalil Dorsey, a UDFA guy, he's 5'9", 170, going to be seeing Zach Pascal in the slot. Pascal's a guy that you could probably pick up off the waiver wire. He's going to get targets. The Colts got to move the ball somehow this week. Uh, They were already 7th, allowing the 7th most yards per game to opposing slot wide receivers and the 6th most slot receptions. He's a guy that could walk into top 36, like low-end top 36 production, and at the flex spot, that's all you really need. I even like Marcus Johnson.
0: I know it's a a tough matchup there, but he's another guy I've gone out, picked up in some dynasty leagues, even some deeper redraft leagues. Because if T.Y. Hilton can't play, you could almost take shots on all three of those receivers, right? Pittman Jr. as well. And just see, it's not not the best pass offense, I know, and they like to lean on the run when they can. But if they get into some sort of shootout script, and that's possible with Baltimore, we could see that game go a little higher than expected we could see those receivers step up and we don't know what's going to happen with ty here whether he's going to play this week or whether he's going to miss some time with that groin injury uh, we're seeing a lot of backup running backs get their shot too and some of these guys i love to see it this time of year because some of these guys have so much juice right so like jk dobbins a solid rb2 this week we get a lot of people who are surprised that i had him ranked as high as i did but If Mark Ingram's not playing, we already saw it last week, what Dobbins could do. It wasn't a good matchup and he still produced. I think this week it's another tough matchup. That Colts defense against the run, very difficult, but Dobbins could get it done as an RB2 this week. And I don't know that everyone is valuing it maybe as high, like a top 15, top 20 guy. That's where he should be if Mark Ingram's out. Uh, Chase Edmonds. With Kenyon Drake sidelined, Edmonds becomes an RB1, in my opinion. He put up at least 12 fantasy points in four of his first seven games this year, and that was while serving as the backup to Drake. Edmonds was held under 50% of the snaps in the first six weeks, and then in week seven when Drake got hurt, Edmonds played 61% of the snaps and delivered 145 yards from scrimmage. Last year in his lone start, he posted 150 yards from scrimmage, played over 90% of of the snaps there. So don't doubt this guy's upside. Edmonds is somebody who should be locked in as an RB1 this week. If we wanna go deeper, keep an eye on those injury situations. Some of them we already talked about, but guys like Gio Bernard and Dexter Williams and Wayne Gallman and Jordan Howard, They could all get big workloads this week if their starters can't go. And then let's throw some darts at tight end this week. I mean, Jordan Reed on the Niners, if he can't go, then it would be Ross Dwelly, either of those guys. Nick Mullins loves throwing to his tight ends. And Jordan Akins, he's been out for a while. He was the clear top tight end in Houston, though, before he had that ankle injury cost him time. He was playing around 80% of the snaps early in the season. So once he's back, he'll push Darren Fells down. He'll assume that lead tight end role. He's a streamer in deeper league, somebody that I'm actually going to have to rely on in at least one league because I had Kittle and there was not much on the waiver wire. So it's Jordan Akins for me. Just a, just a bit of a downgrade this week there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love your Chase Edmonds love because Edmonds is a guy people are sleeping on. I, I agree with you, because the Dolphins are quietly one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. The problem is just people haven't run against him a ton. So if Edmonds gets the volume, which if Drake isn't there, who's stealing work from him? I know we both like Eno Benjamin as a prospect. I don't think he's taking uh, rushing attempts and targets away from Edmonds in this matchup. Like I think he's got top five upside in this matchup.
0: Well, that's why I brought up the the numbers that he put up in those games where he was the mm-hmm. starter, because it shows that they will trust him, right? Kingsbury's been there for both of those games. They will trust him with a big workload, and I think he definitely could see one this week. That is all for today's show, though. Make sure you're following Derek on Twitter, like I said earlier, at
1: FFB. Anything you're working on right now you want to mention before we let you go, man? Yeah, man. Uh, Obviously, you can catch all my work over at FTN Daily, FTN Bets, and FTNFantasy.com. I have my podcast, Fade the Chalk Podcast. We have four episodes a week with my awesome co-host, Adam Pfeiffer. Um, I'm currently working on my Pace and Play article. That will be out sometime today. Um, Offensive, defensive line, and... um, my 10 Stats to Know every week usually drops uh, on Thursday afternoon.
0: One of the best in the industry, one of the nicest guys in the industry, and absolutely saved the day today, Derek Brown. I will be back on Friday for our weekly live video chat at 1 p.m. Eastern, so make sure you get your questions in Thursday night, Friday morning. Until then, though, big thanks again to Derek. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening, and we will see you next time.
1: C'est leave on time my baby said leave on time leave on time with me tonight i said leave on time